Uh, we're going to dive in today. So mark your calendars, 5 o'clock, July 25th, worship night. It's here. Uh, it's going to be a great, great evening. Um, I, I'm diving in today to the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to do a four-part series on this book, four weeks. And uh, this, this, I believe this book is, is particularly relevant to us because, you know, we as a culture, uh, starting end of May, June, I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like after about 16 months of, uh, for most of us, social distancing and quarantine, we're sort of reemerging. Do you feel that way? It's kind of like we've been like on a long winter's nap. Come on, right? It's like all of a sudden we're getting out. People are tra- we're traveling again. We're, we're going out to restaurants and, and, and seeing, going to having gatherings, you know, that we haven't had in a while. And there is this reemerging. And, and something that I've had, even after first service, and even the past several weeks, conversations with people who've been telling me this, that after a year of, of sort of social distancing, working from home, school from home, kind of everything out of your home, um, they're now trying to kind of figure out and sort of rebuild like their routines of life. Like, what do I want my life to look like now? Kind of re-envisioning now that we're sort of like offices are opening back up. Maybe you're a business owner and your office is opening back up and you're trying to figure out like, what is this going to look like? And schools are going to be back five days a week in the fall. And there is this sense of a re- re-envisioning, re-imagining, rebuilding that we're in the process right now as a culture. And here's why Nehemiah has particular relevance. Because Nehemiah felt called by God to go back and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Uh, and why that's significant, we're going to get into. But, the, but that's why this, this series is called Rebuild, because he had a calling from God to rebuild these walls. And we're going to see through the course of these next four weeks what God does through his obedience, through the people uh, that followed Nehemiah and their obedience. And I believe it will have a lot of application for us in our life. But first, let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. That your word is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray, God, that you would uh, speak to us. Uh, God, I pray that as we open up our hearts and minds to receive from you. Father, we just take this moment, even today, for every person listening to just, uh, we came first and foremost to hear from you, to worship you, to honor you. Uh, so we just posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. God, may you speak through my words in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to share three points today with you. Uh, from the, uh, we're actually going to cover the first three chapters of Nehemiah. I didn't plan this, but each point uh, actually correlates with each chapter. Um, but but I, I've entitled today's message, The Birth of a Vision. And really, we see the birth of this vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and Nehemiah. And really, it's a process he kind of walks through with the Lord that I think has some application for us today, especially if you're trying to envision uh, maybe it's, what do I feel, what am I called to in this season? Or what is, what is life going to look like now as I move forward in this next season? I think it's got an application for us today. Uh, so point one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is the first step is we have to pray and align ourselves with the will of God. And also, if you're not taking notes, you can write this down right now. Pray and align yourself with the will of God. There are rewards in heaven if you take notes in church. Uh, That's not biblical nor accurate, but I felt like I needed to say it. So we're moving on. That's the only lie that I'll say today, I promise. Um, Here's verse 1 of chapter 1. It says this, The words of Nehemiah, son um, of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while in the citadel of Susa. Susa was in Persia. 
uh, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. To give context, the uh, Jews were in exile in Babylon. And about a remnant, 2.5% actually, 50,000 of 2.5 million Jewish people went back to Jerusalem. Um, they were in exile in Babylon, uh, but the large majority, 97.5% uh, of them, got very comfortable in Babylon. Uh, how many of we're not careful, we can get comfortable in a season God never intended for us to remain in? And they were in Babylon. They got comfortable. They settled in Babylon. But there was a remnant back there. And they were in trouble because, to give context, the walls were, were torn down. And, and, and walls protected a city. Uh, it, it protected a city, both the inhabitants, but also your resources. So therefore, a city with no walls was a city uh, that oftentimes lacked resources. What well, was a city that was really uh, in, in great danger. And that's where the state of Jerusalem was here in this moment. Now, now watch Nehemiah's response. When I heard these things and I sat down and wept, for some days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah, now Nehemiah occupationally was a cupbearer. Uh, now you might be thinking, what, what is a cupbearer? Why is that significant? The cupbearer, so he worked for the king of Persia. He was in the city of Susa. So the cupbearer would taste, before the king had his wine, he would taste the king's wine. Some of you are thinking, where can I sign up to be a cupbearer, okay? Um, <laughs> Not so fast. Uh, because why he tasted it was because to check if it was poisonous. So instead of the king dropping dead, you would drop dead. Now you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good where I am. Uh, that was his role. Now, unofficially, it was a significant role because you protected the king. But unofficially, he was also an advisor to the king. So this is a very significant role. This wasn't some just kind of low-level position. He had a very significant role. So, so Nehemiah, um, as I was studying for this message, many, many scholars say Nehemiah, it was presumed, was probably pretty skilled in, in the terms of leadership because he would have been in conversations with the king and others about planning and strategy and so forth. So he would have been a, a fairly skilled person. Uh, he, had, he had a lot of political and social and, and probably economic resource. So, so here in Nehemiah, he hears news that the city where you're from, Jerusalem, is, 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 is in peril. And I love Nehemiah's first response. Because Nehemiah, as a skilled leader, he didn't say, hey, let's get a strategic plan. Let's outline it for the next three years of where we will be and what we will do each quarter in order to get where we're going. Nehemiah didn't gather a team of people and say, hey, let's get together so we can do this. What did Nehemiah do first? He fasted. He prayed. Anybody else like me, um, you have a propensity to, uh, when, you, when you see a problem, you first make a strategic plan for that problem, and then you ask God to bless that plan? Maybe perhaps God's asking you to stop planning and start praying. Maybe he's asking you to stop asking him to bless your plan because he actually says, I have a, a completely different plan. And perhaps, perhaps, maybe not. But, but I'm somebody, I can dive into planning. Like, let's build a team. Let's get this going. Let's do some things. But Nehemiah, for four months, four months, he fasted and prayed. Four months fasted and prayed. He also, what's, what's intriguing was, we're going to get to this, Nehemiah was willing to give up a lot for the sake of fulfilling his calling. And, and here's why. 
Here's how you can know a calling if you're sensing something, a leading, a direction that is from God. God will always call us in service to others. So whether you're an accountant or you're a doctor or you're a stay-at-home parent or you're a teacher or you're in business or you work for the government, our ultimate calling as followers of Jesus are to serve others. Verse 5 then, get this. So Nehemiah begins to pray. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God. He's recalling the nature and character of God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant who's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. I want you to check this. He didn't, he didn't dive into what, what is called petition, which are so, a lot of times is what, what we can default think of as prayer, which is kind of, kind of saying, God, here's what I want you to do. And that's not a bad thing. But the first thing he does is confess sin. Let me also make note of this. Um, he identified himself with the same sin of the Israelites. Have you noticed this? What was common in the days of Jesus in that culture is as also common today. Um, there's a lot of in our culture, and it's very easy because oftentimes we can, have you noticed this? It's easier to notice the sin of other people before you notice your own sin. Like I can see pride in somebody else without realizing I'm actually being prideful while I'm judging them. <laughs> or I can see greed in somebody else but not see the greed in my own heart. And we have a culture right now that's very quick to call it the wrongs of somebody else. I think God's calling the people of God, yes, to call it injustice, but start with your own heart. Before I point somebody else and say, they're wrong, say, God, what is first wrong inside of me? Where's the, have the posture of David that said, search me and know me, O God. Root out any wicked way in me. Because he confessed his own sin. God, I have been complicit. The same disobedience, the same sin, the same dishonor of the Israelites is also in my heart. See, a lot of times we're not careful. We can put out somebody else's sin, and actually what's going on underneath the surface is we actually think we're better than them. And that's self-righteousness. And Paul said, my righteous, our righteousness is like filthy rags, meaning we are not righteous. We need Jesus. But here's the good news. Let me just encourage you, because maybe you're discouraged right now. 1 John 1, 9 says this. When you confess your sin to Jesus, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Meaning, every penalty of your sin, which is death, paid for by God. No penalty. He cleanses you from the guilt and the shame. He actually can set you free from that sin. That's good news, church. I'm preaching better than you all responding, but that's okay. Because that's good news. It means you can mess up royally, and God doesn't hold it over your head. It means you can sin terribly, and God says, I love you, and I gave my son up for you. And that's great news. No other relationship, no other environment, no other place you go do you have all of your punishments paid for but with Christ. That's good news. That's why we as, as followers of Christ can come boldly and say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm sinful. God, I got this junk in my heart. Why? Because we know he's paid for it. I don't have to pay the penalty of it. So I don't have to dismiss it or deny it. I can own it. Here's what Nehemiah also knew. He knew that your character is the foundation to your calling. Listen, your calling will break you if your character cannot sustain you. He knew that actually sin can suffocate your calling. 
He knew that unchecked sin, unrepentant sin, that, we, that you kind of let, just let it slide by. You know what? It's okay. I'm not perfect. Listen, he's not calling us to be perfect, but he is calling us to be repentant. He's calling us to acknowledge, saying, God, I need you. And here's the good news. I had a conversation with somebody about a couple months ago, and he was saying, uh, you know, he was, he was following after God, and he's like, I just feel so broken. I feel like I'm, I have this sin in my life. And I said, you know what? That's exactly where God wants you. Because he says, I've already paid for that. I've actually handled that. Let me help you. Listen, God's not waiting for you to clean yourself up or to get perfect before you come to him. He's just waiting for you to say, God, here I am. That's where he wants you to be. First service didn't get that. That was free. You're welcome. (laughs) Hebrews 12 says this, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. That word throw off is almost like a violent throwing. Um, it's like when my kids get home and they take their shoes off. Any other parents have this? Your kids take your shoes off, like throw them when they get them off. Anybody else? This way? It's like, what is happening here? It's like when Judah throws his shoes off. Everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, let us now run with perseverance the race or the calling God's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So sin entangles us, sin trips us, sin can hold you back. So, so we throw it off. I thought of this, this example as I was praying through the message, this metaphor of my son uh, some, some years ago. Um, I don't know, parents, if you felt this, especially in the early years, your kids grow so fast, you feel like you're buying shoes and clothes every like two months. And you're like, listen, I know you're two years old, but you gotta start working up in this piece. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're too expensive. You didn't tell me this, God, you know? Um, sorry, pray for me. So we were like, let's get him shoes a little bit too big so he'll grow into them. Come on, good stewardship, right? So we get him shoes a little bit too big. We put them on his feet. He goes running outside. He falls down. So I'm like, it's okay. You're breaking him in. Just keep going. You got this. Gets up. He runs. Falls down. Gets up. Then we realize, okay, his little two-year-old feet aren't going to break these in. So we take him off, and he runs like the wind. And uh, we realized these shoes were inhibiting his running. That's what sin does to us. James says this in the book of James. He says that sin eventually leads to death and destruction. Do you want to know why God hates sin? He doesn't hate us. He loves us. He hates sin because of what sin does to us. That unchecked lust will eventually harm and hurt relationships. The unchecked and unrepentant pride in your heart will eventually dis- can destroy the calling on your life. So I, I, I would encourage you tonight, tomorrow, just ask God, God, search my heart. Is there any wicked, wicked way in me? Is there any sin in my heart? And then repent of it. Because why? Because when you confess your sin, he's, he's willing, he's able to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and forgive you of it. Then in verse 8, it says this. Nehemiah says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, you will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if you're exiled people at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So he recalls a promise from God. He recites a scripture out of Deuteronomy. So what's he doing in this moment? He remembers the promises of God, saying, God, you said if we were disobedient, you'd scatter us. That happened. But now you say if we're obedient... You'll, you'll bring us back into, because we're your chosen people. 
And this is important. This is why it's so important, I think, as a follower of Christ to know the word of God. Because you know in the Bible there are 8,810 promises for you and for me. 8,810 promises. Here are some of them that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. There is nothing you can do that can change the way God feels about you. Come on, that's good news. Some of you should write that down right now. Put it as your wallpaper on your iPhone. Come on. Because you know that God's not about Androids. So if you have an Android phone, throw that junk away, okay? I'm just kidding. But, but there's, there's promises like, by the stripes upon Christ's back, we are healed. There's, in fact, the Bible says his promises are yes and amen, that every one of his promises, every one of his words will fulfill them. Here's our role, is to believe it, to believe the promises. But then he aligns himself with the word of God. Here's a challenge I'm going to give you, is to align yourself with the word of God. Is there any area of your life that you know that you're not living in accordance with what God's word says? And align yourself with it. Do you see what Nehemiah is doing here? He confesses his brokenness, and then he recognizes God's lordship. Before he asks him for anything, he basically recognizes, God, I need you. Help me now to align my life with yours. I was reminded uh, several months ago, uh, we had a, uh, uh, one of our televisions, um, they had this smart, like a Roku TV, and the screen was black, but we could hear the audio. You ever had that happen to you before? It's like, we could hear, like, I think it was like Disney Plus, and we could hear, like, Mickey Mouse or whatever it was on the other side of it, but the screen was black. And come on, parents, how many of you know your favorite babysitter is your TV? Come on. Don't judge me. You know it is. Um, that's why I don't do a parenting message. You see, you know, I never do a parenting message, okay? I'm still learning, okay? Pray. Uh, so we were like, dear God, we need to fix this TV. <laughs> um, having to be a father right now. Help me. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, so I, I go to the manufacturer's website to look at the manufacturer's manual, like what happens. And I came to find out this was not an uncommon problem. So I had to press these like buttons in a certain order on the remote and it restarted, kind of reset the TV. And sure enough, it worked. So in this uncertain moment, where I didn't have clarity, I went to the manufacturer's manual and I received clarity. Listen, God has given us the manufacturer's manual and his word. When you're lacking clarity, read his word. Not sure what to do, read his word. Seeking direction, read his word. Need vision, read his word. Read his word. Like, like get, getting direction from God's word, saying, God, I want to know your word. The Bible says, actually, it's God's word brings blessing to your life when we obey it. He said this, Jesus said in, in uh, Luke eleven twenty eight. catch this, this is the words of Jesus. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Maybe you're thinking, Jeremy, 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 where do I start? How do I get there? Just read the gospels. Start there. Read the life of Jesus. Do what Jesus said. And that's a great place to start. Align your, there are areas that you need to align yourself with the will of God. So he confesses his sin. He aligns his life with the word of God. And then the final thing he does in verse 11 he, he, he petitions God. Here he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's the man? King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, which he's about to go forth to on behalf of the people of Jerusalem. So number one is to pray and align yourself with the will of God. Number two is to plan 
prepare and take faith-filled risk, faith-inspired risk. Verse 4, chapter 2, what happens is Nehemiah goes into the king's presence. He's prayed and fasted for four months, four months, said nothing, told no one, prayed and fasted. He goes for the king, and he's noticeably distraught. So the king says, what is it you want, Nehemiah? He then prayed to the God of heaven, and then he answered the king. If it pleases the king, your servant has found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So I want you to check this in this moment. He goes before the king. It's in the presence of the king. Now, to give context of how significant this was, for what Nehemiah asked, he could have been killed for. He was a cupbearer. He was a Jew in Persia. He had very little rights. And, and, and the king of Persia could do whatever he pleases. So he could have ended his life here and there. Uh, number two, he could have been banished from the kingdom. Number three, and we see this is what, it, is, is he was risking the comforts of his role in the kingdom. He was a cupbearer, which means he, he would have, most scholars presume, his pay would have been relatively well. So he would have had all the material comforts of the, king, of the kingdom of Persia. And he was willing to lay them down for the sake of following God's calling upon his life. And here's what I want to share with you. And I found this to be true. Especially I found the older I get. Uh, I know I'm 38. I know I look 22. I know. But um, I found the older I get, the harder this can even become. And that's this. If we're not careful, comfort can become the enemy of your calling. Think of it this way. I've ever had this moment before. I did a couple Fridays ago. Uh, Friday afternoon, usually for me, I, I go to the gym Monday through Friday. And fr by Friday, I'm tired. And I usually got to kind of motivate myself to get to the gym. So it was a Friday afternoon. I just kind of finished work for the day. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have a little snack. I'm kind of lacking energy. And I'm going to watch a show on Netflix. So I sit down on the couch. And then the show ends. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do one more. One more, I'm going to go to the gym. You know where this is going. Next thing you know, one more, I ain't going to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you had that moment where like, you're, like, you're thinking to yourself, like, like comfort gets in the way of what you actually want to do? Maybe you're like, you know what? I have a one scoop of ice cream. Right? Half a carton later, you're like, what just happened? I need a nap. Right? You know, like you got comfortable, right? Like comfort gets in the way of, of our calling. Uh, and here on Nehemiah, it would have been comfortable for him to stay as a cupbearer. He had a consistent income. He had protection of the king's guard. Um, he would have, you know, relatively retired well. Like, it would have been a good life for him to stay comfortable. But he was willing to forsake it all for the sake of fulfilling his calling. And, and let me just speak to this, because there are some subsects of Christianity that there are some teaching that, that I don't find in Scripture. And I'm going to speak to this. And there's an idea that if we follow God, if we do what God says, then we'll have more material comfort. Or what I want, I'll have. Like a case in point. Well, if I follow God, I'll make more money, right? Or if I follow God, I'll have a better house. Or if I follow God, everything will go well. And that's a great thought. It's just not found in Scripture. Uh, the disciples were murdered for their faith. Uh, if you looked at their life, you wouldn't have said it was Paul's life was like comfortable. <laughs> but 
But let me tell you, listen, I think sometimes there's some subsects of Christianity that we actually minimize the actual true blessing of God. Because listen, listen, you may obey God and you may become very wealthy. And that may be God's will for your life. You may have great success. You may be in your dream job. You may have everything you in, in your heart. That, that may be part of your will, but it also may not. And I have found sometimes if, if we teach only that, when things don't go perfect, we question God. But God never promised that. Here's what he does promise. And this is even better, church. It's better than wealth. It's better than health. It's better than comforts. That when you actually follow the will of God, he gives you a peace beyond all comprehension. He gives you a joy in your spirit where you'll find strength. You'll have a fulfillment knowing that I'm walking in alignment with the will of God, the creator of the universe for my life. And there is no money, no success, no comfort that can give me what the God who spoke the world into existence can give me. So, so your dream job, you may, you may get it. You may not still obey him. You may make more money. You may not still obey him. Why? Because we don't live for the kingdoms and the things of this world that we can see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the apostle Paul says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't live to make more money. We don't live for a, a large 401k. We don't live for the dream job. We don't live for the perfect life. We live to serve the king of kings. We live to build a kingdom that we cannot see. Why? Because the large majority of your life will not be spent on this earth. It will be spent in eternity. And here's the most important words I want you to hear in your life and I want to hear when I get to heaven I stand before King Jesus well done good and faithful servant he's not going to ask for your resume he won't ask for your CV he won't be impressed by how well you did on earth he said were you faithful were you obedient with what I asked you to do and when we stand before Jesus church I'm not saying listen I'm not saying these things are bad on earth, but they're not the motive. Are you following me? If we're not careful, we can easily get off course. And the enemy will do it very subtly. So, so here's my question for you. Are there any comforts right now in your life that are holding you back from pursuing God's calling? I, I recalled a friend of mine. She worked on Capitol Hill and had great success. First, working for the government, then she went private. And she felt God called her to a season to go home. She had never stayed at home uh, as a parent in her entire life. That's what she felt like God was calling her to do. Great success, great financial resource. And it was a great sacrifice. They took a big cut in their, their income. But, but not only did, did she do what God asked her to do and she found fulfillment in being home more with her kids in that season, but actually, while being home, she got to know more people in the community. Now, as she got to know more people in the community and the pandemic came, she actually, through all of this, through knowing needs in the community, started a nonprofit, now leads a thriving nonprofit that came out of first an initial step of obedience. Martin Luther King Jr. says, faith is taking the first step of the staircase without seeing the entire staircase. When she came home, she didn't know the nonprofit. Well, God did. And God's saying, will you trust me with this one step? And it might be to give us some comfort. It might not, but it might be. My question for you, are there any comforts that are getting in the way of your calling? And then we see he plans and prepares. 
Nehemiah 2.7, he says, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, so they may provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the rural park, so he will give me timber to make beans for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall, for the residence I will occupy. So I want you to know what he does here. He, he asks for two things. He asks for a military escort from Susa to Jerusalem. Here's why. From Susa to Jerusalem was a two-month journey. Two months, and it would have been unsafe. With, with broken-down cities, it would have been like walking down a, a, an unsafe street at night. So he's like, I'm gonna, your boy's going to need some help. It's like, hook me up, right? Like, give me the big, the big tanks, right? Uh, he, he asks for support militarily for protection. And then he asks, here's what he did his research. He knew the name of the person who had the timber in Jerusalem. He said, hey, can you go ahead and send an email to Asaph? You know Asaph? You know that timber store? In Jerusalem? Yeah, because your boy's going to need some building materials because I'm rebuilding the wall. You see what he did? He did his research. He did his planning. And then in Nehemiah 2, later on, when he gets, to, he gets to Jerusalem, he actually goes at night and he inspects the wall. He does research before he actually engages in rebuilding. Again, let me just speak to this because there are some subsects of Christianity that, that um, and maybe you've heard this, that at times we can over-spiritualize the spontaneous where we think if, it, if, it's, if, it's, if, if, if it's God, he'll just do it all of a sudden. And, and we don't do the planning, the preparation. Can I tell you this? And God may do things spontaneously. He, he may. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But I've also noticed this. God honors planning and preparation in faith. And he began to plan and prepare in faith for what God was calling him to. Now, again, this required faith because people would have think, man, Nehemiah, these walls won't be rebuilt. People tried this before. It didn't happen. What makes you think you'll be any more successful? But he was planning and preparing in faith. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I was reminded of a couple some years ago. Um, they were uh, trying to have a baby and were going through fertility treatments and uh, were, were feeling discouraged. And, and there was one moment in her, in her prayer time uh, the woman, the wife, she felt compelled. She felt God was asking her in their house to actually build out a nursery in their spare bedroom. Now, she had not had a baby yet. She wasn't pregnant. And they had kind of been told, uh, we're not sure this could happen. But she had kind of, again, she was seeking God. She was praying. She felt that's what she was supposed to do. So she began to build out a nursery in her, in her home. Now, I didn't ask her this, but I could imagine people walking into their house, seeing a nursery, being like, oh, are you expecting? Well, no, I'm, but I'm, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. So it was months after she built that nursery that they actually became pregnant. Now, I'm not saying because he built the nursery, they had the baby. But here's what I do believe. She followed the calling of God. And there's, a, there's something that happens when you, when you begin to follow God. He adds, he adds his super to your natural. That, that God begins to move in your life in ways that, that you didn't expect. Again, I'm not saying if, you, if, you, if you're believing for a child, if you go build a nursery, you're gonna, that's not what I'm saying. But what is God asking you to do? I heard another story of a, of a young woman who was in graduate school, and she was traveling a lot for work, and um, she was also uh, going to graduate school, very full life. And she had felt... In her prayer time, God put on her heart to prepare for a husband, that she was going to have a family soon. She wasn't dating anyone. She's like, okay, I'm going to begin to prepare. So she felt at this time, for her, I'm going to 
not travel as much because I want to be home and have a family. That was just her, I want to be more time at home. So several months after she made that decision, she met the man who would eventually be her husband. That woman is my wife, Christina. Thank you, Jesus. She followed him. I was her gift from God. God says, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but, but, but again, she, she heard from God and she, she, put, she, she followed. What is God asking you to do to plan? Maybe it's to buy that domain name for the business you want to start. Maybe it's to take that. You, you, you know there's a book in your heart. Take that writing course to prepare for that book. You want to work for that nonprofit? Get to know people in that industry. Listen, God is honored by your preparation and faith. So what is it God's asking you to do? Maybe it's you begin to get around healthy married couples to begin to learn how can I have a healthy marriage because you want to be married. Maybe you, you take that step of beginning to read some parenting books and, and the belief that we're going to have a baby. What is it God's asking you to do? Again, this is not like a, a, a thus says the Lord for you. Only you and God can know. But what is God asking you to do to prepare in faith? Also, by the way, yesterday, Christina and I celebrated 11 years of marriage Holler at your boy. Uh, here's point three. Uh, so we have pray, we have plan, prepare, take faith, inspire, rest. Let me say this too. I didn't just say take a, and I don't believe this from the, the scripture. You don't just take a risk for risk's sake. You take a risk that's inspired by God. And God may inspire you to take a risk. And God may be calling you right now to, 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 to take that risk, to let go of some comfort. Here's the last one. Third point is to play your part. So verse 18, Nehemiah now, eventually he makes it public. He goes before everyone. He says, he told them, the gracious hand of God has been on me, and the king has said to me, he says, so everyone replied. So the, the, the remnant in Jerusalem, they, they, they heard Nehemiah's plan. God, and he says, God's hand's on me. They said, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. And God of heaven will give us success, so we, his servants, will start rebuilding. So what I love about, about Nehemiah is that he has this confidence. Again, his confidence is in God. It's not in himself. It's not in his leadership ability. It's in God. He keeps giving God the glory and the honor. So, so the, the word rebuild is used in Nehemiah 3 six times. And that word rebuild, what, it, what that literally means is they use the, the materials, the ruin that was left in Jerusalem, they rebuilt with that material. Here's what we see out of the scriptures. The timber that Nehemiah asked for the letter for, he didn't need. Now, here's the encouragement I want to give you. It was a case for Nehemiah. Everything Nehemiah needed to rebuild the wall, he already had. It didn't look like building materials. It looked like ruins. And let me encourage you. Whatever God's calling you to, he's equipped you for. It may not look like it. You may, listen, you may be feel called to write a book and you're saying, Jeremy, I got a D in high school English. Come on, not college English, high school English. What God's called you to, he's equipped you for. Jeremy, I've never worked in business. How am I gonna launch one? What God's called you to, he'll equip you for. Jeremy, I came from a broken home. How am I gonna have a healthy marriage? What God's called you to, he's equipped you for. He just needs you to believe it. And here's why God loves it. Because when it happens, people can clearly say it's the hand of God upon your life. 
It wasn't your intellect. It wasn't your resume. It wasn't your network. It wasn't how well you were raised. It was the spirit of God upon you. You're saying they shouldn't have a healthy marriage. They came from brokenness. They shouldn't be successful in business. They have no experience. They shouldn't have written this best-selling book. They did terrible in English. But God... And everyone was saying, and we're going to get into this next week, everyone was saying, Nehemiah, what are you doing? You'll never rebuild these walls. You're not equipped for this. You're not called to this. But God, the first wall took three to four years to build. Nehemiah and the people who built with him built the wall in 52 days. But God, what is God calling you to do? I feel called today to inspire you, to encourage you by the word of God. What is God calling you to do today? He wants you to step out in faith. He's not saying you have to figure it out. He's just saying, go to Jerusalem. He's just saying, go to wherever that is for you. What's God calling you to do today? You don't got to figure out next year. Figure out, God, what are you saying to me today? And then as you keep saying yes every day to God, next thing you know, 52 days later, that wall will be built. Next thing you know, that book is a bestseller. Next thing you know, you're married with kids. Next thing you know, that business is launched. Why? Because you trusted God and you'll be like Nehemiah saying, the gracious hand of my God is on me. It's not my intellect. It's not my skill. You know what I want for you? Sincerely. I want it for my life. I want your life to not make sense. I don't want them to look at your life and be like, well, that makes sense. He's pretty smart. He's okay. He did well in school. Look what he accomplished in his life. Now, I want them to say, what? Jeremy did what? Jeremy? Jer the, the boy who stuttered as a kid? I was the kid who had a D in English. He did what? He married who? That doesn't make sense. I'm like, exactly. But God, I'm not trying to depend upon my own gifts, my own strengths. I was a stuttering boy at the age of seven. I was terrible in English and I speak for a living. But God, it's not me. And that's what I want for you. I want you to see your life and be like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But God. And you give him all of the glory and all of the honor. Why? Because he's worthy, church. Imagine a group of people who live lives that cannot be explained. That was the early church. That was the early, that's what I want for you. Listen, I know you're brilliant. Many of you in this room are incredibly brilliant. And God gave you that mind. He gave you the ability to be successful. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But here's what I'm saying. Do not trust in your brilliance. Trust in the one who gave you the brilliance. He gave you that. And that's a gift. Your education is a gift. Your leadership ability is a gift. Your success is a gift. Your wealth is a gift. But don't trust in that. Trust in him. Trust in him. My last thought I want to share with you is this. Is that it's going to take a team. Nehemiah had, a, had 38 people... And 42 groups of people are mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Goldsmiths, perfume makers, temple workers, district rulers, the whole gamut. You know, blue collar, white collar, every class. All of the remnant in Jerusalem put their hand to rebuilding the wall. 
And can I encourage you, the calling that God has upon your life, our Western culture is very fond of individualism. And that's great. It's just not biblical. Like when God calls someone in scripture, he always calls them with people and to people. So my question for you is a calling on your life. Do you have people around you? That's probably the reason why we have community groups and serving teams. You can find relationships. I mean, I got close friends of mine. I to even here today. They pray for me. They encourage me. I don't know where I'd be without them. Like, like where I am in life is, is God, but the people God's brought in my life. Do you have those people in your life? And, and Nehemiah had those people in his life that were building with him. Here's one last thing I want to say. Let me read Nehemiah 3, 4. It says this in 3, 4. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. I read that scripture if you're looking for names for your future children. It's a great one. I'm preferred, I, I, I like Zadok the best. Uh, we have a fourth one. That's their name. Um, so here, here's what happens. Uh, 35 times the word repair is used. It means the strength, to, to make strong. These people made the, wor- the, the, the wall strong. Nehemiah stationed them by where they lived. He, he, he had them strengthen the walls. As I was studying, I, I read across a number of commentaries from theologians looking at kind of culturally and contextually. When I read the scripture, I want to know culturally and contextually, and then also in the scope of the narrative of scripture and of our faith, what is the significance of this book? For then, but then for now. And time after time, it is believed that Nehemiah is a type of Christ. And the way that he came to Jerusalem to save the Jews, Christ came for us, for our salvation. This was a foreshadowing what Christ was going to do. That actually Nehemiah leading the Jewish people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was actually a type and foreshadowing of what God calls his church to do in terms of putting our hands to building the church of Jesus. You know, out of all of the metaphors for the, the church in Scripture, two of the top three, uh, one's family. You hear, you hear it say a lot, catalyst family. And that's why, because the most frequent occurrence metaphor of the church in Scripture is the family of God. Um, and then the second one is the body of Christ. And every part of a body has a significant part. There's no insignificant parts of our body. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, speaking about the body of Christ. So Christ gave himself, or himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul says that that God has given church leaders to equip the body of Christ to mature and to grow in the knowledge of God. And also unity is a big big thing for God. So we would would grow in unity together. And then he says, from him, that him is Christ. Just to be clear, we are the body of Christ. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We may be called Catalyst Church, but we are a part of something that's been happening now for several thousand years on the earth and will continue into eternity 
when we meet him. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So again, Paul uses the metaphor of a body. He says, each supporting ligament. Here's what Paul's saying, that every part of the body of Christ has a part. And each part of the body functions as are supposed to function. It actually grows the body of Christ up in love. Now, as I think about that, I think that what a a beautiful vision for the church, the body of Christ, a community of people who are growing in love. What a gift to our world. Like a community of people, you're going to be loved and cared for and taken care of and served, and you're going to serve others. It's a beautiful community, and I believe we have it here at Catalyst. And that's God's vision for his church. That's not, not, not just a service you come to. It's a, it's a body you're, you're contributing part of. As he was saying, every supporting ligament, I thought to myself the importance of every ligament and muscle in, in our body. Uh, years ago, I had, um, they call it tennis elbow. Uh, it's like the ligament here in your arm. It was inflamed. I don't know if you've ever had tennis elbow before, but it's horrible. Like, I, it, every, everything I did with my upper body was affected. I couldn't even pick a coffee cup up without, like, searing pain. I had to take, you know, anti-inflammatories for a while to get it back down. I couldn't do any sort of exercise with it. Like, it was really hurtful. Again, this little ligament, seemingly insignificant, was so important to my body. And I thought to myself, that's God's vision for the body of Christ. And maybe you're here, you're thinking to yourself, Jeremy, I'm, I'm not that significant to, to the church of Jesus. Like I, I'm, I'm, and again, there's multiple reasons you can think that. I'm not, I don't know if I have any gifts or I just started following Christ. And can I tell you, there are no insignificant parts of the body of Christ. There's no insignificant parts. And how the body of Christ functions when every part of the body does their part. And can I tell you, I mentioned this earlier, if there's ever any pressure or catalyst, but I want to invite you, if this is your church, or maybe if you're new, but you're ready to, we had a number of folks first time here, they just jumped right in after first service. Um, that's why we have these serve cards, that you can join one of our serving areas today to start to be a more participant of the body of Christ here through Catalyst Church, that what gifts God's put inside you, that you can begin to exercise them even someone first service told me um, she said one of the things I loved about this church is I could begin to get involved and exercise the gifts that I have inside of me to make a difference and you'll see here today on this card there's like five main areas and you're just expressing interest a team leader will follow up with you to give you details and we're not asking you to serve until uh, Jesus comes back unless you want to you feel called to that uh, but that's, that's no expectation uh, or even like I'm going to serve every week that's not an expectation either. Uh, we're just saying be a part of the body. Be a part. Whatever that part is for you. Um, I imagine I'm a pinky toe. I don't know why. I just do. Uh, maybe my bald head. I don't know. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. I don't know why I said that. Um, we have five areas here you can check of interest. One's next generation. That's nursery, pre-K, elementary, and middle school. Um, I don't know if this is true, but I believe it in my heart because I have three kids. I think God will just bless children's ministry workers a whole lot more in heaven. I don't know why. Maybe because they're caring for my son right now. I don't know. Um, Creative, which is worship, production, our our digital team. Um, Guest services, greeting, ushers, parking, hospitality, kind of greeting individuals, welcoming people as they come in. Operations, 
set up and tear down. They set up our environments every Sunday. Some come early, some stay late to tear down. Administration work behind the scenes to make sure things are running smoothly. Church life, which is our community groups. Outreach, again, serve day was a one-time thing, but outreach is consistent. Prayer, we have a prayer team actually prays over all of our services. Uh, Maybe you know this, but this church is not like just those of us here you see on stage. Like this is the body of Christ. In fact, a lot of what you love about church are done by a lot of people behind the scenes. In fact, can we just do this, especially our, I think our set up and tear down team, our admin team, all of our behind the scenes production team. Can we just give them a hand clap, Brian? Just show some honor to them. We're so grateful. So grateful. So grateful. And here's how I'm I'm inviting you. Be a part of the body. Be a part of the body. I'm telling you, if you do, you'll be glad you did. And if you're not, come talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll apologize. But, but I believe you will. And here's what the most beautiful thing, though. The body of Christ. The body of Christ will build itself up in love. And whose bodies? Jesus. And that's who we do it for. That's who this is all about. Church, will you pray with me? I want to pray with two groups of people this morning. If you're here and two things. You're either trying to discern what's God calling me to in this season. I had lots of conversations after first service of people who were trying to, like, I'm trying to figure out what am I called to in this next season? You know, I think callings can progress throughout your life. Or maybe you're here and you have a sense of that calling, but maybe your prayer you need is just to have the courage to maybe make some risks, take some risks, maybe lay aside some comforts to to go after that calling. Maybe to do the, the work of planning and preparation Maybe to get some people around you who can can pray for you and encourage you. If you're either of those groups, no one looking around, I want to pray with you. I want to ask you to lift up your hand on the count of three, just so I know who I'm praying with. Because I want to pray over you. 